Man, do you need that this morning? I, um, I love coming to church. Sometimes I just wish I didn't have to speak because my mind is filled with all these things, but I just wish I could get carried away and just sort of lost more in, in what we're singing about. But um, this over here, this, her name is, is Taddy, and that's Tony's sister. You're probably like, man, I need to get glasses. I'm seeing double. Um, but she's just been coming to our church here the last couple months and has moved up here. And we're just so blessed to have worshipers that are Levites that lead us in worship to uh, just kind of pull us away from all the distractions of life and so that we can be attracted to, to Christ. I don't know what your patterns are throughout the week, you know, some of you are like, oh, I like country music, you know, and on the way to work and back and forth, I like country music too, a lot. Um, maybe you're like, I just love death metal from the early 80s, you know, whatever, Def Leppard, ACDC, all that stuff. Maybe you're like, I like Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift. But I would really encourage you not to just come to church once a week for 15 minutes and listen to songs that would edify your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's some really, really great worship music that can just be in your car on the way to and from work. And I would encourage you, if you're a family here and you have young kids, get a radio and make sure there's worship music playing in your home. That, that our kids are just growing up in an atmosphere where they're hearing about the love of Christ for them. And, uh, yeah, because I, I just remember that was my home growing up. It was just things that were on the wall, you know, or just verses and sayings. And it's like our home was like a sanctuary of where Jesus was welcome and he he resided there, but he presided there. He was on the throne, even at home. And it wasn't like we went to church to kind of hear about God and think about God, and then we went home, and it was just kind of us for the rest of the time. That was so important to me. We're uh, in the third week of Wild Goose Chase, and uh, the Celtic Christians called the Holy Spirit the Wild Goose, and they would chase after him. I think kind of comes from the John chapter three conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus where he's like, such are the ways of the Holy Spirit. We don't know where he comes from or where he's going, but this is what it's like to be born of the spirit. He's mysterious. He's surprising. And we're just asking to be surprised by God. In fact, this message last week actually came to my mind while I was speaking, speaking last week's message. And I went back and I told Ryan and John, I said, I was going to have one of you speak, but I'm going to speak next week, the wild goose said. Yeah. And I said, he told me during my message, talk about the hard sayings of Jesus. And I didn't really know what that meant until I fully went in to explore that concept. But I think we have this image in our mind, an image of our own making that Jesus is sort of the meek and mild, gentle Jesus that wouldn't hurt a flea. And he's sort of carrying little lambs and little children, bouncing them on his knee, giving them like horsey rides. And he's just very, very calm and subdued and quiet. Like you have to be like, come again, Jesus. Like he's just like Mr. Rogers with a beard, right? You know, won't you be my neighbor? And won't you love your neighbor? You know, 
or Captain Kangaroo or just some sort of figure that's just always positive and upbeat and inclusive and inviting. And he was that, but he was so much more than we made him. In fact, it came on my time hop a couple days ago, a prayer that Caleb prayed when he was just about ready to turn four. And Heidi was gone and the girls were gone, so I was making dinner for the boys, which they don't like that. And uh, so I made dinner and we had it out there. It was mac and cheese, because and, I know how to make that. <laughs> and uh, we made mac and cheese. And I said, Caleb, why don't you pray? And he said, God, help this food to be good somehow. I'll never forget it. <laughs> help this food to be good somehow. And help me to eat my peas and not just my mac and cheese. <laughs> Amen. That was the prayer. Help me to eat my peas and not just my mac and cheese. Today we're going to eat our peas, not just the mac and cheese. We're not going to facelift Jesus and spin Dr. Jesus. We're going to say, what do you say about yourself? And what do the stories of the scriptures present you to be? Because that's what we want. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. At least in this place. That's what I'm going after. I was in a conversation recently where I was talking to a guy who'd been in the faith for a long time. And he said, you know, I've just, over the years, I'm not so much into the Old Testament I don't really read that anymore. Sort of a God of wrath and judgment and holiness. I really like reading the New Testament. It's just more about grace and forgiveness and love. I was tracking with him. I understand that. And he said, I'm, when I get to the New Testament, I don't really like the epistles that much. Paul, he's kind of a cocky, arrogant guy that is just sort of feels like he's talking in lists and what to do and not to do and what to put off and what to put on. And he's like, I really like the gospels more than the epistles. And he said, and even in the gospels, I really am into the red letters more than the black letters. And I'm like, can you do this to the Bible? Can you just pare it down to whatever you want to read that you like? And I, I was like, this is crazy. Thinking that Jesus is this inclusive voice in the scriptures, that he's the more relativistic and pluralistic being that just wants everybody to come just as you are, doesn't matter what you believe, your truth is your truth, and I'm just here to pat you on the back and massage you and rub your back and let you know you're a good boy, you're a good girl. This, this consummate picture he had in his head of lenience and tolerance and unconditional acceptance found in the red letters, Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know that you've read the red letters even. I think if I really boiled it down with him, just tell me the red letters that you like, he'd be like, I don't really like those red letters, but I really like that red letter. He was full of grace and truth. In fact, my definition of love is grace plus truth. Like you can't have love with just grace. And you can't have love just with just truth. It's grace and truth equals love. 
And that's what it says in John chapter one. The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. The message today is called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And it actually comes from John 6:60. as I was reading the scriptures. It said, on hearing Jesus' words, many of his disciples said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? This is right after he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Like, this, is, this isn't like good to recruit people to the kingdom of God. That's like bad recruitment. And he's like, well, what if you saw the son of man lifted up to the right hand of the father? And then 4,000 people left and 12 stayed. And he said, will you leave me too? And they said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's your way or no way. I've heard our church called over the years many things, but some stand out. We're the feel-good church. You heard that one? Or church light, kind of like Bud Light or Miller Light. We're church light, you know, kind of diluting it down, bringing everything to the bottom shelf, making it very easy and accessible. Uh, Our church, when I was growing up, it was a fundamentalist sort of Baptist church, and I think they thought they were the only ones in town going to heaven. And they said, every other church out there is easy believism. But there is a lot of that, that that people are more into convenience than obedience these days. And if it's an inconvenient truth of Jesus, well, we don't have to like adhere to that. We're just into the more convenient truths that are more palatable. But I, I just don't think people have tuned in long enough to our church or attended long enough to hear the whole counsel of God that we're laying down here. We're all about God's grace, but we are about God's truth. It's sort of like Paul said, that we want to speak the truth in love. Truth was uber important to Jesus. He even said very clearly, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I've learned that before the truth can set you free, it has to tick you off. It has to set you off before it sets you free. When you first hear it, there is a resistance where you put out your arm in stiff arm and say, I don't know if I'm down with that. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. (laughs) You'll feel that in your spirit today because all of us have rebel hearts. So I felt the spirit prompting me, pressing on my heart to lean into the red letters just so that if you're thinking the red letters, or you're going to find this sort of warm embrace. You're going to find a Jesus that was a rock. He was a rock. And he was undaunted and unafraid and unapologetic to speak out things, to call people to repentance and obedience when they followed him. So let's get it started. Matthew 5, let's just start with a Sermon on the Mount. This was his first sermon. Actually, it's more sermons on the Mount. 
When I went to Israel, there was a mount where he would give the sermons up from Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. It was like a little amphitheater. And you'll notice in the Sermon on the Mount, it's just one of the wackiest sermons ever because he talks about about 47 different things back to back to back. And they said, these are a collection of sermons on the mount that they put together. It'll make a whole lot more sense when you read Matthew 5 through 7. But this was, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So Jesus sort of comes in hot, man. You think he's going to come in all lovey-dovey, but he comes in hot with, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. First one, Matthew 5, you've heard it said, verse 21, and it was said to the ancients, do not murder And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Whoa. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means moron, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, going before the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. That's hardcore. If you're angry with your brother and if you call your brother a moron or you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. I didn't know Jesus talked about hell. He talked about hell way more than he talked about heaven. Jesus. See, Jesus believes that all humans have dignity and mustn't be dehumanized with careless and cutting words. Regardless of the disagreement, Christ followers don't call people stupid, idiots, morons, or fools, no matter how good it makes them feel. They treat others as eternal souls made in the image of God. There is no place for name calling in God's kingdom. That's really crazy because after the last four years, I've never felt like from the top down in leadership, name calling has become a customary thing for everybody. It's like no holds barred, come up with an adjective in front of someone's name and just slay them and cut them through. And God says, you know, how many times, even in the last week, have you been like, they're so stupid. What a moron, stupid idiot. What a fool. And Jesus says, we don't do that in my kingdom. You might do that in your little empire in America. We don't do that in the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, because he was on a roll. It says in verse 43, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That seems like common sense. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Say what? You may be the sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what what reward will you get? And you can imagine his disciples are sitting around like, we're just gonna, gonna build up And all these people are listening to us like, how do you get anybody to follow you with this kind of message, Jesus? You're not off to a good start. This is not how you get people in your downline, in your pyramid scheme. See, Jesus is calling us to love the other side. Those 
who think opposite of us, those who stand opposed to us, those we view as opponents to our beliefs, values, and even dreams. He asks us to even pray for those who mistreat us and malign us. Hatred has no place in the heart of a true Christ follower, none. Thank you for those two amens. I think probably that's how many amens Jesus got to. Because you're supposed to hate your enemy and love your buddies. This is not in the kingdom of God. When people are persecuting you, you pray for them. Matthew 5, he thought, there's only a couple people listening at this point, but I'll say this one as well. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you undress a woman with your eyes, in your mind, that's adultery. And then he goes on, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to depart into hell. You think the 12 disciples that he called were just like, this is the first sermon they ever heard him give. And they're like, I'm going to another church. That one doesn't make me feel good at all. I mean, Jesus is a good speaker, but just don't like his doctrinal statement. Jesus believed in the concept of radical amputation as it related to sin, particularly sexual sin. He wasn't down with sex before marriage, that's fornication. He wasn't down with sex outside of marriage. That was adultery. He wasn't down with lust in one's heart. That was pornography. Christ followers had such a high view of sexuality and would not tolerate objectifying the opposite sex because sex was sacred. In our sexualized culture, sex is recreational. It's entertainment. But in Jesus' mind, it was not to be trifled with. It was precious. People were precious. Stay right in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's closing it out this way. This is a huge one for me, people in ministry, I think. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and preach awesome messages in your name, drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. See, Jesus was dead serious about doing the Father's will, not just saying that you believed in him. Knowing Jesus was not about religious activities. It was about having a personal relationship with him that brought forth godly fruit in a person's life. A Christ follower didn't just talk the talk, they walked the walk. Obedience, contrary to popular opinion, wasn't completely replaced by grace. That's tough. That's tough. 
Even Paul said, examine yourselves, test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless you have indeed failed the test? 2 Corinthians 13. We're always examining our hearts. Is my life on the inside matching life on the outside? Is what I'm doing matching what I say I'm being? Am I doing the Father's will or just saying his name flippantly? This idea of just knowing Christ and doing his will and and being very, very convicted. See, God doesn't condemn us, but he does convict us. And he longs for repentance that brings renewal and revival in our lives. We can't just keep doing things that aren't godly fruit on the outside and and think to ourselves and not think to ourselves, what's wrong with my inside? Because out of the inside, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. By, By your fruits, you will recognize them, he said earlier in this text. Your fruits will show your roots. You say, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree. If you just keep bearing oranges, you're an orange tree. You can't keep saying, my roots are this, even though my fruits are this. That's not how it works. I thought we planted corn out here. There's, there's just beans. Then you planted beans. You can't keep lying to yourself that I really planted corn. Your fruits show your roots. And if you never feel convicted or your conscience pricked throughout the week, you got to be questioning, is the Holy Spirit in there? Because when I'm doing something wrong, the Holy Spirit throws up inside of me. He does. I remember going to a movie with my wife, and we've done this several times. We love going to movies on our date night. And we went to a movie, and I didn't look at kidsinmind.com. It's a really awesome thing to look at. You can see what's in the movie, whether you should go. And I don't know why they call it kids in mind. Like kids can't handle it, but adults can't. Hogwash. And we went to this movie and it was seven minutes in and it was boobalicious and butts hanging out and string bikinis. I think it was Furious 7. That was the stupidest movie anyhow, but I don't know why we went. But I just, I just was like, I can't do this. We shouldn't be doing this. Not that I can't, we shouldn't. And we just paid 20 bucks for our tickets and $900 for our popcorn and drink. <laughs> and so you're like, what did we just do? And you know how many times you stay in something just because you realize we just bought all this, let's just kind of bide our time and wait it out. We walked out of that theater and I thought to myself, Thinking with redneck jokes, if Jesus was telling a redneck joke, maybe it would go like this. If you've never walked out of a movie in your life because of the Spirit's conviction, you might not be a Christ follower. If you've never apologized to your children for being a hypocrite, you might not be a Christ follower. If you've never changed the channel on your television because what you're viewing offends your conscience and the Holy Spirit who lives in you, you might not be a Christ follower. If you've never walked away from a dirty joke or a conversation of gossip, you might not be a Christ follower. If you've never skipped a song on the radio or your playlist because of its explicit content, you might not be a Christ follower. If you've never experienced conviction over your perverted and foul language, you might not be a Christ follower. If you have no love in your heart for people or compassion for this world, you might not be a Christ follower. 
If you know something is sin and you willfully do it anyway, always playing the grace card, you might not be a Christ follower. If you don't acknowledge and submit to what the Bible says about how to live, you might not be a Christ follower. If you haven't lost any friends because of the stand you're taking for Christ, you might not be a Christ follower. If you love Jesus unless or until it costs you something significant, you might not be a Christ follower. If you only follow Christ when things are going well and abandon him if things don't go your way, you might not be a Christ follower. If radical amputation isn't a part of your life on a regular basis, if you're not gouging something out or cutting something off, I remember one guy went into a hotel room and he told the concierge or whatever to come up to the room, unbolt the television and take it out of his room. And they're like, what are you, some kind of pervert? It's like, no, I can't have that in here. I got to cut it out of my life. You can put it in tomorrow when I leave. Sounds crazy, but I think it's a Christ follower. You got to know what you can and can't handle and quit playing games like you can manage sin in your life without it coming to bite you. Luke 5, 31, 32, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' heart was admittedly biased toward the sick and the sinner. He was called a friend of sinners by those who sought to discredit his ministry and mock him through character assassination. Instead of just gravitating to like-minded people, a Christ follower always has a penchant to pursue the last, the least, and the lost. They walk with who religion walks by or walks around. You don't get in your little holy huddle with the frozen chosen and call that how Jesus lived. It's great to have great friends and accountability, but you, you got to be reaching the last, the lost, and the least if you're going to do what Jesus did. I never want to be a church where it's like, come to our church where only the worthwhile are welcome. No. You come as you are, and God will do what he's doing here today. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. This one is just so crazy. Right at the onset of his ministry, Jesus said in John 6, truly, truly, I tell you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And that's where they said, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? Jesus is calling people to devour him like our lives depend on it. This is a picture of a devout disciple. He isn't to be treated like a buffet where you get to pick the things you like about him and discard the rest. Christ followers embrace all of Jesus' words and ways or none of them. Even the things that are hard to swallow that thin the crowds to preserve the truth. 
There are times where you speak and people leave. And this happened over and over with Jesus. He would speak and thin the crowds and say, will you leave me too? No, you have the words of eternal life. We're going to follow you through thick and thin. And God prunes. And the group he was telling this to, they were eating the bread. He was feeding them, the feeding of the 4,000. And they wanted more bread. Do another Houdini trick. David Copperfield, come. This guy does tricks. This guy's awesome. He's, he does miracles. Do another one. Do another one. And he's like, what a wicked and perverse generation, always demanding a sign. Does anybody want me? Do you want to seek my face or just my handouts? And so he clears the crowd because he's not just about felt needs. He's about your spiritual needs. John 14, 6, this might be the thing that got Christ crucified more than anything else he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way. There's no other way. I'm the truth. There's no other truth. I'm the life. No other life. Jesus was ultimately crucified because he believed he was the only path of salvation. He didn't mince words when it came to the authority and exclusivity of his claims to be the only true God. As unpopular as it is to say, all religions don't lead to heaven. Christ followers put their faith and hope in the salvation of Christ and Christ alone for supernal and eternal life. And I, I think we are in an era of time where we're being constricted and force-fed this idea of inclusivity that God has a lot of names. And by whatever name he goes by, ultimately, you're ascribing worth to God. In Jesus' name, amen and a woman, right? What, what is going on? Jesus would say, what in the name of me is going on around here, right? <laughs> this verse right here may be the thing by, in my lifetime that starts to cause persecution to rain down and bear down on the body of Christ. And if you don't loosen up in that area, hate speech, that's hate speech. Luke 23 and Matthew 6, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. See, Jesus had a high view of forgiveness and called his disciples to radical reconciliation with others. If he could forgive the ones who were killing him while they were killing him, we are left without excuse. Early Christ followers knew that if they didn't forgive, they weren't forgiven themselves. And there have been no amendments by God to this command to date. I'll let you know if that changes. But I have a feeling not one jot or tittle in, in this book of the law is going to change. That will never be amended. Forgiveness is a big deal. If you withhold forgiveness, God withholds forgiveness for you. He even said this in the Lord's Prayer. We're like, we love the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So we're saying, God, only forgive me if I forgive others in the Lord's prayer. Last heart sing of Jesus. There were so many I had to pare them down. Matthew 10, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And some of you hate your dads and moms, so that's not a tough one for you. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's what Ryder said. We ascribe his worth by our love. Jesus believed he was to be the supreme love of our lives. He knows his worth and won't be replaced or dethroned. He thinks he's worthy of first place in our lives without a close second. Christ's followers knew that to follow Christ was to love him with exceptional, exclusive affection demonstrated in how they invested their time, treasures, and talents. In fact, in another portion of scripture, it says, unless you hate your father and mother, and your sons and your daughters, and yea, even your own life, you are not worthy of me. To hate them. We know other scriptures, love your wife as Christ loves the church. What he's talking about here is not like a hatred of them and go to Jesus, make like they don't exist. What he's saying is, is your love for me should make your love for your family look like hate in comparison. He didn't just have hard sayings, though. There were some hard questions. I read through the Gospels this week. There was over 100 plus that I came up with. I'm like, I can't do that. But I I got it down to 10. Who do you say that I am? And he's saying that to everybody here. And you're like, well, after today, I'd say you're different than I thought you were. I want you to know, kids here, that you aren't saved because your mom and dad are saved or your mom and dad bring you to church. You have to declare that he is your Lord and your savior yourself. I heard one pastor say, God has no grandchildren, only children. Nobody gets grandfathered into the salvation thing. There's a lot of religions out there they're like, if as long as I baptize my kid, they're good to go for the rest of their life. As long as I go through catechism, they're good to go. As long as I've been in this class and have all the right answers at age 12, and no, 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 no. Who do you say that Jesus is? Next one, how is it that you seek the approval? These are red letters. From one another and not seek the approval that comes from God. That one's just a huge one. Like, we're just people pleasers to beat the band. And God says, you want everyone else's approval. You want the praise of men. You want other people to like you. But but why don't you seek to please me? Why don't you care about my approval? I love this one. Are you still so dull? Jesus said that to his disciples. Which sounds like, are you so stupid? But that's not what he means. He's like, are you so thick skulled that you can't hear what I'm saying? That I have to keep telling you this over and over again? Some of you parents know what this expression is. (laughs) How many times have I told you today to pick up your blah, 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 blah? I said it once and I'm not going to say it again other than when I say it again. (laughs) You know. (laughs) 
How about this one? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye and yet fail to perceive the honking dog log coming out your own eye, right? He's calling out hypocrisy. We have a microscope as it relates to other people's problems and peccadilloes, and, and we have a huge telescope when we look at ours. What profit would it be for the one to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? You can have all the accumulation of all the things in your life, and yet your soul's the most important. Are you tending to your soul? That's the greatest gain. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I command? Why do you keep saying I'm your Lord, master, master, leader, leader, but you don't follow me when I lead? You're my leader. Then follow the leader. But you don't. It's like, it's like we don't, we call his name, but we don't know his name represents his character. And so we don't know who he is, but we keep using his name. It was funny, it was a couple weeks ago, and I'd seen the girls just speaking to their phone, you know, Siri, play Justin Bieber, Bieber Holy, you know, it's like, so all of a sudden it plays, and I'm like, Siri, play, you know, NF whatever. And it just wouldn't respond. I'm just like, come on! Stupid thing, and I just push it aside. Like, technology never works for me. And then Tay comes home, and she's like, Alexa, play this. And I'm like, oh, Alexa, not Siri. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? I'm yelling at this thing, and it's like, guess not my name. If even the smallest things are beyond your control, why are you anxious about the rest? This has been good for me lately. It's just like, I just want to do the little things in front of my face rather than have so much emotional energy going into all the macro sort of geopolitical realm that just steals away my life from my wife and my kids and my church and the people I love and just like go on fast from having to know everything happening in the macro world and the nebulous world. Just the small things are hard enough for me to exercise and exert dominion over. And he says, just trust me. How about this one? Have I been with you for so long and you still don't know me? You've been coming and listening to me in church and you know all this. You still don't know me though. In fact, Jesus said, I think it's in John 6, he's like, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but you refuse to come to me to have life. See, the Bible is awesome, but you can read the Bible, get addicted to the Bible, and never know Jesus and let him take the reins in your life. This is probably the reason why they didn't know him, even though they'd been with him a long time. He said in Matthew 21, did you never read the scriptures? And we got Bibles all over the place. I got like 40 of them in my house and 65 different versions and parallel Bibles and John MacArthur study Bibles and life application Bibles and hunter Bibles and set free ministry. But we got Bibles all over the place. Do you read your Bible? Like, I'm, I'm good. No, you're not good. You obviously haven't read your Bible because what you're doing, the Bible says don't do. And he's like, even then, do you never read the scriptures for yourself? 
Start reading the Bible. Or you're going to worship a God you don't even know. And then the last one, do you love me? Just point blank. Do you really love me? Something hit me last Thursday as it relates to how to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and there's a ditch on both sides of the, the road. You can be too into the world and then sort of too into like getting away from the world. And I was thinking of five expressions of Christianity in the world. There's isolation, which means staying away and hiding away from the world. That's not good. There's insulation, which means hanging out with just Christians in the world. The best one, dead center of the road, is incarnation, which is being the presence of Jesus in the world. Or you slide to the other side of being really relevant and hip and cool and trendy, where you do integration, which is being a little like the world and a little like Jesus, or imitation of the world, being just like the world in attitudes and actions. This is, we want to be the presence of Jesus in the world, not be on a ditch on that side of the road or a ditch on this side of the road. Does that make sense? And it really comes down to this red letter verse to me, really, really short, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. You're like, well, that's the Old Testament. It's commands, the Ten Commandments and all the laws. And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. You've heard it said, but I say to you. In fact, the law said, don't commit adultery, but I say unto you, when you lust for a woman in the heart, you commit adultery. And the Bible said, do not murder. But when you're angry with your brother and you call him Raka, you've committed murder in your heart and you're in danger of hellfire. So Jesus came and it wasn't like lowering the bar. He's raising the bar and he's calling the church to level up. Level up, baby. I'm praying just for sort of a conviction that leads to confession and that that repentance will lead to revival in our church now. If we ever needed revival in each individual heart, we need it now. See, at some point, a Christ follower should look and act and speak and think differently than the world. They should be more patient, more discerning, more bold, more joyful, more respectful, more compassionate, more humble more kind, more curious, more fearless, more merciful, more resilient, more honest, more genuine, more dependable at work, more forgiving, more forbearing, and above all, more loving. That is to say they will look and act more like Jesus. And if we don't look like Jesus, you got to ask the question, is Jesus in my heart and life? And if he is, why isn't he making any radical changes to my behavior? And I, we're just in a time where, man, do we need Jesus to ring our bells and hit the tuning fork and for that clarion call to raise us up and to say, God, you said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Remember singing that in Sunday school or Awana growing up? God said it, and I believe it. And that settles it for me. God said it. That's just sort of, you said it. I believe it. And that settles it. But Lord, I, I want to do this, but not, no, no, no. Follow me. 
follow me. Follow me. There's been, um, I've been reading poems lately, old dead poets in particular, and one that I've been listening to every morning. It just feels like a modern, you know, uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that's been good for me living in the world in which I live. And I just want to listen to this as we head out. So take this in and then we'll pray. Check this out. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose, and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. Mm. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Yeah. Every morning for the last two weeks, I listen to that before I move into the day. I love that. Yours is the earth and everything in it. It's actually a Bible verse from Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
And meek doesn't mean weak. The definition of weak is power under control or strength under control. And that was Jesus, strength under control. So we're going to eat our peas and our mac and cheese today. Thank you, God, for your call to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. We've made it into something so different. And we want to let you be who you are instead of making a graven image out of you, Jesus, and creating you in our image. Now we have to do the will of the Father. We've heard your word. We've sung songs and said your name here today, but we want to do the will of the Father. Even James, your half-brother, said, what is faith without works? We, we want to show our faith by our works. So send us out as ambassadors of you this week to show a Jesus that really does stand out among all other gods. And no matter what that costs us or what we sacrifice, Lord, it's so small compared to your sacrifice for us. And we want to follow all of you, every bit of who you are, and make you known to our world this week and our schools. May you fill our homes and may our homes be a sanctuary of your presence this week as we lead and live our lives with grace and truth, which is the definition of love. Go with us, God. Help us accomplish this. We can't do it in our own strength. So fill us up, fill us with your spirit so that we can be made into the image of this Jesus we learned about today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Drive safe on the way home and live a dangerous life this week. <laughs>